Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, the spooktacular Cat Bailey, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Cat. I am Nadia Boxford, as in a grave, as a box that goes in the ground. It's the best I can do, sorry. Ooh. 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 And who is our horrifying special guest? I'm E Rick, like E, like you're yelling, like ah, I'm scared. <laughs> We're bad at this. <laughs> yes, this week is our RPG creepy pasta episode, so I thought I would set the mood with the beginning. Did you like it? I hope you did. But yes, we're going to be talking about all the creepy moments in RPGs and all the creepy legends of RPGs because it is that time of year, Halloween, October. We're coming on up. We're in the process of playing Parasite Eve for a monthly game club that was announced not too long ago as part of our horror RPG uh, themed week or month, I suppose. We also just recently did Tales of Vesperia. You can go find that over on our Patreon feed. It's for our Pantheon of the Blood God series. Go and listen to that. We had a great old time. If you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens our day and increases the visibility of the pod. And if you enjoy the show, you can also check us out at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod with all of our special episodes, including the Summer of the Rings, our deep dive into Neon Genesis Evangelion, and our Patreon Pantheon of the Blood God monthly series that is exclusive to our $10 listeners. We'll be getting to the news and the main topic in a bit. But first, what is our sacrifice to the Blood God in this most hallowed month? Eric, we'll start with you. You came to me first. You knew I didn't have any RPGs to talk about. <laughs> the blood god is preparing to smite you, Eric. I, I know, I know. It's, it's a, I have I have embargoed blood god information already. The RPG I hungers for RPGs. Or the, the blood god hungers for RPGs. That's what the I said. NDA of the blood god <laughs> looms <laughs> over my head. The blood god um, fears no embargoes. Uh, if you want to see blood, just ba- just break one of Nintendo's embargoes. You'll see it real fast. Oh god, the Nintendo Ooh. ninjas will come for you. Oh, they will. Um, yeah, I've just been playing. I've been playing Back for Blood, which is blood adjacent, blood, blood adjacent, related. That's good. <laughs> RPG um, blood adjacent. Yeah, you know, it's it's more Left for Dead. It's a lot longer than I thought it was, if that sounds weird to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I booted up the campaign, I was really shocked at how many maps and missions there are in there. Uh, I think some people are going to have maybe a little bit of beef with it just because it's not Left for Dead again. Uh, and you know, you can never really go home. So that's just something you might have to take up with whoever it is you talk to. But, uh, that's, I, I think it's, it's competent so far. It's interesting. I'm just, I think there's been a lot of really interesting stuff that I need to look into myself, uh, because we've only had access for about a day at this point. Uh, we got in with when the, uh, early, uh, pre-orderers did. Um, Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, it maybe seems like a game you don't want to play by yourself. Let's put it that way. Is it spooky? It's, it's more like you don't get achievements when playing offline. Ah, I think that is spooky. I have not verified that for myself, but I've seen tweets going around saying as much, but more importantly and very pertinent, uh, the AI is just not Mm. all there. Uh, they, <laughs> we were playing, a friend and I were playing last night and we had two AI teammates 
and we're trying to do this this mission if you did the open beta it's the one where you go into the boat and you have to plant the explosives on the boat and then run out within a minute uh and then the boat blows up to create like a gap in the bridge the zombies can't get over so the zombies stop flooding into the town uh as I'm running down this boat, I hear my AI teammate go down behind me. I turn around and one guy's on the ground just pointing his gun in the air, but not really shooting anyone. And another dude is on the like the edge of the boat with zombies all around him aiming at their kneecaps and firing and missing. And like he's holding a machine gun. He's just kind of going like, boom, everywhere. No, not, no, not even everywhere. spraying like single shot, just like, boom. Aw, missed. <laughs> Doom. Aw, not again. <laughs> it's, it was really sad, kind of. I, I wanted stuck. to leave Door them. stuck. I wanted to leave them on the boat, you know, to their own devices. <laughs> but uh, uh, we had a card that was there. Are cards in this game where you get things for completing objectives and stuff. And uh, ours was to make sure everybody got out of the mission alive. So I was like, great. You got to help <laughs> gotta the kids use a little bit of extra help. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it seems like it could be fun as a group. And I had fun in the open betas that they had a while back as well when I was playing with a four stack. But playing it with AI was maybe a little bit more eye opening too. This is probably a game you want to play if you have a group of friends and not just you with a bunch of bots, which was similar to Left 4 Dead, but this one was a little bit more egregious, let's say. I pl- started playing RPGs because I don't like people. Exactly. Eric. That's I, this is my punish. <laughs> this is my penance to the blood god for daring to play a social multiplayer game instead of just cozying up on the couch with the with the stories I know and love all by my lonesome. The blood god's weighing his two favorite things. Well, I don't like the fact that it's not an RPG, but it does have blood. <laughs> Checks it off. It's right there in the title. It says back for blood. They're not back for anything else. It's like just the, the meme. Blood. It's the meme where the person has the two buttons. One says RPGs. The other says blood. And the blood god's just it's wiping his brow nervously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not one to talk because I've been playing FIFA. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. back on my nonsense. Yeah, mm-hmm. old soccer RPG. Playing FIFA Ultimate Team, which is even worse. It's horrible. I was just going to place. I was just playing some online head-to-head. It, it wasn't so bad, but it's like morphine to heroin. I needed a stronger hit. I need to open those loot boxes, build my ultimate team or something. It's terrible. I promise I'm not going to do it for much longer because, frankly, I do not have enough time to spend 200 hours on freaking mm-hmm. FIFA. I should be playing RPGs, but that's what I've been doing. I also did, however, get a Switch OLED, which is very exciting. It's been downloading games all day. I've got almost all of my stuff on there. I was having a lot of nerves about transferring my Animal Crossing Island and all of my Pokemon. I didn't want to screw Mm. anything up. But thankfully, I have uh, Nintendo Switch Online. For once, Nintendo Switch Online proved to be very valuable and necessary because they gave me access to cloud saves. And so I was able to transfer everything without any trouble. And let me tell you, that screen in person, once again, gorgeous. I love it so much. Uh, just bigger, darker, clearer. It's amazing. Yeah, I broke down and ordered one myself. It's not here yet. But <laughs> you monster. I, knew I figured it. living I, large. Living large. Well, yeah. I have to be, I'm, I'm being sensible about it. Like, first of all, it's a tax write off. And that's mm-hmm. good to have tax write offs when you're freelance. It really is. Second, mm-hmm. 
I'm getting older. My eyes aren't that great. I have a switch light and I find lately my eyes have been straining more and hurting more. And uh, instead of doing the sensible thing and going to the optometrist, I'm going to drop like a bunch of money on a switch OLED and that'll solve all my problems. One's <laughs> going to make you happier. Like That's when true. was the last time you were at the optometrist and said, this is a plus gameplay? Like never. But <laughs> when you're holding that switch OLED. I have to get I have to hand it to my optometrist. He does have like since I've been a kid, he's had this really amazing comic on his uh, Bristol board, B- bulletin board where it's like, you know, I am an insane eye doctor and I'm going to kill you as I sit here reading this eye chart. Like you've probably seen it around. But I do have to say the uh, the best thing about my eye doctor is like you're both you're both um, Scott Pilgrim fans, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. 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 So I put on a new pair of glasses. And what I do is he says, tell me what you see down the street. And I always look at the sneaky D signs. That's what he has me look at. <laughs> so the first time I ever put on a pair of glasses, the first time I could see. And the first thing I see it, like in, in crisp, beautiful HD detail as a kid is the sneaky D sign. So there you go. That's my first my first adventure. Well, your as first a seeing real person. sight. My first real sight with sneaky D's. I hear their Tex-Mex is terrible. I've never been there. <laughs> I've been getting a little more into Pokemon again lately. Um Mostly because I got so caught up in transferring all of my Pokemon over, like that made me mm. jump back into my game. And then I downloaded Pokemon Go, and then I was like, I'm gonna just start transferring all of my Pokemon back into Pokemon Sword so that I can start filling up that Pokedex. Because I am actually kind of excited for Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. It's oh, there you go. Generation's See? time to shine. Can't wait. Shine like a diamond. I'm actually not playing an RPG either. I'm playing Metroid. I mean, wow. duh. Of course, I'm playing Metroid. Wow. I mean, Metroid's kind of an RPG. There's no, stop, Eric. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you're going to get fired. It's exploration. <laughs> Days since we had the conversation about what's an RPG. Reset to zero. Zero. <laughs> we, had, we were going for a whole day there, Eric. Thanks. But yeah, I am thinking I really... about picking up Parasite Eve. Uh, but sorry. Go ahead, Nadia. Oh, I just really like it. I think it's a great game. Having it's fun spooky. with it. Good time it, it is quite spooky. It. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually a little bit regretful that I'm not playing on my OLED right now, but hopefully the Switch oh, will man, arrive that's before a game I finish. To play on your OLED, let me tell you. You can really tell it is, yeah, because even though it looks fine, I feel like if it was sharper, like I'd, I'd really notice the, the details going on. Well, let's head in to the RPG news and the top item big shakeup with the Yakuza studio of course that was where yakuza like a dragon was made and hey we're getting a yakuza like a dragon sequel the only problem is that one of the primary creators toshihiro nagoshi will not be part of it yes the rumors that he was leaving are true it sounds like he's starting a new studio under the auspices of NetEase. is that what i'm getting so he has gone big changes at yakuza it's disappointing i will say this franchises and studios are bigger than any one creator even a creator as influential as Nagoshi. so i think mm-hmm. the series will continue to be fine except that he did bring a lot of people with him so he wasn't the only one to leave no but Nagoshi, i hear has not been like really at the front of the series for a while sure, sure. Just, he's like but, a marketing guy yeah and the yeah. the main writer is taking over so i mean the writing in yakuza is fantastic so there's no worries there as far as i'm concerned the most comforting thing they did with this switch up in the leadership was the image they published of the new leadership team all in their like we are the yakuza dev team swagger like the <laughs> suits and everything of course like, i looked at that picture and i was like oh they know what they're doing okay it's it's in good hands <laughs> they, they got this locked like that's the one thing i think about whenever i see the yakuza dev team is they show up 
like they are the people who make the video game series Yakuza. And as long as the dev team can get, you know, the mindset right, I'm sure they can stick the landing. Exactly. And, And Like a Dragon was already kind of a reset on what that series is. I mean, it did have some cameos and stuff like that, but it was very much we are doing something new. We are trying something new to the point that it seems like it's branching off into like a dragon being its own thing. And then if you want that traditional beat em up stuff that Yakuza was known for, it's that's going to be more in the judgment side of things yeah. and, and side game side of things. So I, I loved like a dragon. I still love like a dragon. That game was really good. And I would love a second one of those. The biggest upset of the past decade is Yakuza somehow becoming a globally plot popular franchise. I was never expecting it. It is it for the longest time. It was such a Japanese centric mm-hmm. RPG. It was squarely aimed at Japanese audiences. It was like a Japanese soap opera, but in video game form. It had a lot of really well known voice talent from over in Japan, but not well known over here. And so it was just absolutely enormous and virtually unknown here. And then Yakuza Zero comes along, and mm-hmm. whoosh, and like even now, it doesn't exactly sell that well, but it has become. Fairly well known. It's a fixture, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. It's a latter-day fixture in games. And I think its stature has risen to the point that it's arguably Sega's most popular franchise. Oh, I don't, I don't I know about I think Sonic still takes that one. No. Def- I, okay, maybe I'm an old person now, so I can't, I'm not one to speak. I'm sure Sonic is very popular with the kids. I know that there's yes. like cartoons and there's the movie. It's popular with the everything. olds too. There are a lot of old people on there's Twitter a lot of yelling me there. about Sonic all the time when I say stuff like this. <laughs> I agree that Sonic is a multi-generational thing, but also I don't think about Sonic nearly as much as I think about Yakuza. I barely think about think about Sonic. Sorry, Sonic. Well, I mean, are we counting Atlas under the umbrella of Sega? Because I think... I guess, like- but I think Yakuza is more popular than SMT or Persona. Persona and Sonic are both in Smash Brothers alongside another character we're going to talk about later oh, in this boy. new section. And you know who isn't? Kiryu Kazuma. Now, is that a crime? <laughs> yes, it is. But <laughs> I agree. Sakurai has spoken. <laughs> I'll say this about Persona. It has never actually sold as well as it has a very noisy cult audience. But oh, yeah. games like Persona 4 and Persona 5 have sold much less than you think. It's the same with Metroid. Very noisy cult audience, but a series that has not actually sold that well. I don't know. Persona years. Five, like it, uh, it went over a million, which is not, really not bad for an RPG. That's yeah, but for as good. much as it's been talked up, I mean, yeah, Yakuza also went over a million. You know, yeah. So, so it's by it, degrees, but not. It is by degrees. They're both cult favorites, is what I would say. But I think yeah. Yakuza's stature has risen dramatically. Oh over yeah, the years. yeah. And yeah. Nagoshi has become kind of the de facto creative face in many ways of latter-day sega so he will be missed i think oh absolutely absolutely but i am excited to see what he does what what new thing he creates i just hope it's not some kind of online free-to-play nonsense i really don't i think it'll be the opposite i think netties and um Tencent and companies like that are probably like crapping their pants a bit with all the regulations going on in China. I can mm. see them saying, okay, we're making full games now for uh, our audience in China and as well as outside of China because we don't know what the Chinese market is going to be like in a year from now. So uh, I, I think they're 
hopefully going to cool off on the whole free-to-play thing for a while, but we'll see about that, I guess. I disagree. I think it's the opposite. I think Genshin Impact is the sales model for the future, and NetEase is snapping up as many traditional creators as possible, giving them money, and basically saying, yeah, make it free-to-play, but have the production values of something that you would have in Japan with a traditional AAA and we'll rake in the money from the microtransactions. Yeah, but I also I I, I wonder what's going to happen because China, I don't know if they're going to be really strict about this. I don't know if they're going to say, okay, well, that was an idea. We kind of lost interest in it. If it's the former, there's going to be a lot of changes in the Chinese gaming market. And that's going to kind of echo throughout the world, I think. And we'll have to see where it goes. If I was a Chinese developer like NetEase or Tencent, I would not make any concrete plans for the future except oh no let's uh, let's uh, see what the market's like outside of china as well it's also a zero-sum game you end up playing with that anyways because i think so many companies have started to realize that you can try to make the thing that everyone else is making but yeah. that doesn't mean you can just steal the shares away from everybody else like the number of hero shooters that have risen and fallen in the years since overwatch can speak testament to that but uh, we're already seeing some prestige projects come out of the area and and more like things you would expect from, I don't know, like a like a PlayStation developer that is like, here is our prestige AAA narrative story driven project with super high production values. Like the one I'm thinking of, even though this isn't uh, a NetEase or a Tencent or anything is Black Myth Wukong, which we keep seeing footage of and looks freaking incredible. Uh that's that's a sign of, you know, people wanting to develop the prestige projects. And I, I don't think you go for someone like Nagoshi if you're trying to make a free to play. I mean, maybe if you're trying to give prestige to a free to play game. So maybe that's the cynical reading of it. And that's but... what I'm saying is like Genshin Impact was the game that combined the two. But Genshin Impact didn't need prestige to make it happen. Genshin Impact just needed to be what if Breath of the Wild, but with anime waifus. And... It's gorgeous, though. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's be honest with ourselves why we're playing it. OK, <laughs> I'm not playing it. I, don't, I, I don't really play it. I don't play it either. I'm just saying that the people <laughs> Sorry, who do are honest with themselves. <laughs> there was that one person who was mad because we were crapping all over Genshin Impact. So I guess it can be mad all over again. It's it seems like a cool game. It also seems like yeah. a game that requires so much time investment. And I already have too many games in my life that have time investment. Did you know that there's a new Dota International that started two days ago? I, I have to watch the games. I got to <laughs> oh do my that. God. Look, I'm the one playing FIFA, so I'm not one to talk. But <laughs> and I'm a 14 impact. addict. All right, let's keep going with the news. Um, this is an RPG news per se. It's more RPG adjacent, but Sora is the final Super Smash Brothers Ultimate character. All the Kingdom Hearts fans, you did it. Congratulations. Your boy is in Super Smash Brothers. Lots of excitement. And I guess it just goes to show the crossover appeal of Sora. Another freaking sword user. <laughs> He's got a keyblade, Eric. It's a keyblade. <laughs> it blades in the word. <laughs> He's still bludgeoning people with it. And if, if you get stabbed with that thing, you're not going to be okay. It, it looks pretty rough. Yeah. Well, it shoots fire and stuff. Yeah. When Mario reached into the fire, uh, I was thinking, oh, Dark Souls? That would be a real coup. But oh, no, that'd be cool. Pygmy. Yeah. Let's get Solaire in here or something like that. Yeah. No, you get you get dark side 
he's you get Dark Souls guy in there, but you have Solaire be a Dark an Souls assist guy. trophy. You have Solaire be a an assist trophy or an attack. No, yeah, Solaire would be a uh, a little me fighter. That would actually be adorable. Solaire would be your forward special. Yeah, yeah, he just pops out and just like praises the sun. Praise the and sun. Just, like, Praise the sun. The air. Praise yeah. the sun. Uh, Sora is neat. I mean, it also felt like the safest choice. Yeah. So that's like part A of why I don't sound very excited about it is because of all the things that they could have gone with. I was like, yeah, that makes the most sense. Uh, and look, I am, I'm an ex Kingdom Hearts fan. I love that series, and then I played Kingdom Hearts three, and now uh, me and that series are taking a wow. break and seeing other people. You divorced Kingdom Hearts because of three? Uh, yeah. Why uh, did you hate three so much? Where Where do you want me to start? We have a lot of podcasts to record, and I don't know. <laughs> so uh, was a big fan of that one when she re, when oh, she reviewed it. We talked about it at the time. Oh. Uh, I I thought it was. First of all, you're basically retreading the entire plot of the preceding game, which, by the way, is not Kingdom Hearts 2. It's Kingdom Hearts 3D Double Dreams Never Die Decoded Dream Drop or Distance. Yeah, yeah, that one. It's You're literally doing the same plot from that one again because the plot of that game was, oops, we messed up the plot of this game. We got to do it again <laughs> in the next game. And then you go through the entire thing where it's just, okay, we got to get all the Disney worlds out of the way. That's literally, at least in kingdom hearts two, they found ways to try and weave the organization plot into it. In, in kingdom hearts three, they had no pretense of doing that. They were just like, here is literally the movie tangled and you're going to play <laughs> through it. I kind of noticed that with like, I didn't play it, but I saw some of the scenes like frozen. It's like, here's frozen. And Sora just happens to be there watching Elsa sing. It's, kind of strange actually my wallpaper for a while was goofy looking very downtrodden while it said the snow runs quiet on the mountain tonight <laughs> <laughs> um it's like and then you get to the end of that game and they're finally like okay we're going to give you the payoff that you've been waiting for and they just start throwing so many random things that have never existed in this world prior like here's god by the way by the, <laughs> here's god, here's god. god? The fro- and then it like walt he- disney's head yeah, it, no, it's like a small cat creature. It's very strange. Um, and then they okay. they introduce a thing that is very blatantly like I at least I feel was a near thing that happens. And it was here's how we get all the Kingdom Hearts Union Cross stuff into there. And that was kind of neat. But then they're like, we spent the whole game gassing up Kyrie, and Kyrie's going to be a Keyblade user and a Keyblade wielder. She doesn't even get to fight. She spends the whole thing being a damsel in distress. It's the worst. Kyrie was going to finally hit people with a Keyblade, and she never got a chance. Mm. Eric is really invested in this. And you know what? I'm here for it. I'm here for that passion. But but that's that's part A. Okay, part A. Part, <laughs> part He's gonna part do a freaking PowerPoint presentation on the podcast yeah. about next, why he hates Kingdom Hearts now. Next slide. Why why Sora <laughs> doesn't deserve rights. Um next slide. Uh is did you see the music selection they got for this? Yeah. It was yeah, another yeah, yeah. like I'm just if I'm being honest, it it felt like when they brought Cloud in and they were like, We got tracks and that's what it felt like is I love Kingdom Hearts music and I didn't exactly expect them to get Disney songs because that is and you know they people have posted on Twitter and stuff the links they went to to take the Disney stuff out of it and I completely understand that aspect of it that makes tons of sense to me the flip side of that is could you not at least get one 
uh, Hikaru Tada song in there. Like their mm. music is so critical to what so Kingdom Hearts though. is. My God. Mm-hmm. Just so that's one. why I'm confused Just you would one. go with Sora because the licensing is so prohibitive. Nintendo couldn't splurge for the last Smash character. <laughs> because I knew that it was going to be probably a safe pick, but I was, did not think Sora because that would be very, very expensive. And Disney is a real bear to work with. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, when Kingdom Hearts was first a thing, Disney, if not mistaken, was was very, very poor. And they were selling their rights to whoever would like give them a penny. And so Square Enix was like, hey, we have an idea. And, and, and Disney was like, go for it. And then by the time Kingdom Hearts 3 comes around, Disney is dictating everything that can and can't go in that game. So... Yeah, it would be a real pain in the butt to work with Disney on this. At, at the time I tweeted, like, I, you know, the best soccer I presents was Terry Bogard and, and the history. Of yeah, King that of was Fighters. funny. That was and great. The re- like that was kind of a subtweet of Soro because it just felt like that that presents was a love letter from Sakurai yeah. and the scale they went to. And it was a scale that they were only going to get was with SNK where they go in and they're like, we don't just want King of Fighters music, but we want like, wasn't there metal slug music in that pack or something like that? there was, there was so much SNK music in that pack and there were all the characters from King of Fighters. They all show up as cameos in the back, except for my, for, <laughs> for Nintendo reasons. Boing, boing. Um, but like that was such a it reminded me of what smash can be to like represent a character on you know the fictional mount uh why can i not think of the name with the presidents and the faces mount rushmore, mount rushmore. there we go um like if you think of it as the mount rushmore of video games like terry bogard got his face up there and shining glory with the sun <laughs> casting down upon it and sora's over here like yeah sora got some cool stuff and it's not the worst addition they've made. I think Sora looks really fun to play. I think Sora is a cool way to cap this all off. Yeah, it, it, he's they, they did cool things to represent who Sora is as a character. And I like the idea of doing the dive into the heart as part of the stage. Uh, that was all really, really cool. It's I, I wanted them to like really go out with a big fanfare celebration of, yeah, you didn't think we could get all this. Well, we got it. And instead it was like, yeah, we got Sora. It's like, what'd you get with Sora? It's some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling they're not showing us the full uh, final smash. I think that Disney, I think that oh. Goofy and uh, Donald show up. But given how like stingy Disney is, they probably didn't want him in the presentation. It feels mm. like something was cut. And if you notice, Sakurai said, I want you to see the final smash for yourself. And then I they showed something weird. after that. Yeah. But it wasn't, it, it felt like it wasn't the full thing. And we'll see that once uh, the, the, the Sora is actually released. I'm really happy for everybody who desperately wanted Sora. I personally think Sora is pretty boring. <laughs> I would have rather had somebody like Phoenix Wright or I don't know. I would have oh, loved Phoenix, Phoenix. Wright. Yeah. Oh. yeah. At least it wasn't. Rishifu from Pokemon. That's what I was kind of worried it would end up being. I but... was kind of thinking it's going to be Cinderace and it's going to be like, ah, I don't really. Yeah. Nothing. I love Cinderace. I picked him, but I don't really want another Pokemon. I would have been into Waluigi. Wow. At no, that point, Waluigi would have do been. It okay me. Do, do it for the memes. Do it for the memes. Come on, Sakurai. I, I wanted a Monster Hunter in there. I think no, having I a Monster Hunter, Hunter or Hunter. a Palico would have been great. Or the Soul, Dark Souls. That would have been yeah. great too. Yeah. I, I would have loved them. Palico. Geralt Alas. of Rivia. Geralt would have been great. What am I doing here? But I can't. Comp- well, I don't think that people were talking about Doom Slayer. People no. were talking about Doom Slayer and Master Chief and Geralt and all that. That was never going to happen. If it didn't have at least some appeal in Japan, it's just not happening. 
Like the closest we got was Minecraft Steve, a franchise that is very, very popular in Japan. So are you being sarcastic or are you actually? No, Minecraft is, is huge in Japan. Okay, because I was wondering about that. I remember being kind of mad at Nintendo for sitting on Minecraft when they should have been the first to bring the game over to Japan when the Wii U was doing nothing. It's one of the most consistently popular games on the Nintendo Switch. It sells Mm -hmm. really well. Okay, yeah, so I can see that. Uh, Arino and his partner, his comedy partner from Game Center CX, they did a whole Let's Play of Minecraft. Oh, that's nice. That sounds fun. It was was fun. I don't personally like Minecraft because it was a little after my time, but... Uh, a lot of people do. Many, many uh, people yeah. do. Yeah, but I can't I'm, complain. I'm so, so. I can't complain because the Dragon Quest hero ended up in Smash oh, yeah. Brothers, and I think yeah. he's my favorite DLC character. He's one of my mains. He's so much fun. He's so well done. So I got, I got my, ones. I got my character. Piranha Plant. That was my favorite DLC. Oh, straight up. Piranha Plant Piranha, was so good. Piranha Plant was so good because it was what Smash Bros. does well, which is take a character that you don't think could be a fighting game character whatsoever and then makes it the most fun fighting game character. Uh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I loved Piranha Plant. I was completely turned around on Banjo because of Smash. Smash oh, yeah, Banjo did such was a great. good job of implementing yeah. Banjo that I was like, now I like Banjo. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I am with Sora. I'm like, Maybe Sora will be fun enough that I will end up liking Sora as a result of Smash Brothers instead of thinking that he's just boring. I don't know. I think it, Eric's over here shaking his head nope. like there's a fly on it. But I don't know. I think <laughs> I think Sora has a lot of potential to be a lot of fun. I think sure. I don't like lightweight characters, so I would never play him anyway. But uh, I could see people doing crazy things with him, like even just the examples of like Sora basically taking someone out to die in the middle of the air and like going back, floating back like a butterfly mm-hmm. while whoever plummets to the ground, Little Mac most likely. Even if I don't like Sora, I've got so many characters to play as. I can play as Hero or Byleth. Yes, I do like Byleth a lot. Mm-hmm. I can play as Richter. I can play as Pokemon Trainer, Link, uh, Ike from Fire Emblem. Yes, I do like a Fire Emblem character. Oh, yeah. There's Everybody's so many fun characters in that game. I, can can we do an airing of grievances again? Because oh boy, here we go. They re- they released a male Byleth amiibo and never put out a female Byleth amiibo. Those monsters. And I'm still mad. Look, I've got right here. I've got my female Corin amiibo. They did both versions of Corin. I think they did both versions of Robin. Uh, but they never did Corrin's it for the worst character in that whole game. Hate Corrin <laughs> I so forgot much. I love Corrin. Corrin's Corrin's fun to play. Yes, does Corrin have literally zero personality? Yeah, yes, that is accurate. But Corrin <laughs> <laughs> also turns into what is basically Arceus. So who cares? Yeah, what the hell's with that design? I never liked that dragon design. It's like That's a, a dragon, terrible dragon a design. I'm sorry. I liked how uh, not arise awakening had the sort of leafy dragon. Leafy sea dragon look for the dragons. Oh, Those were pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cooler some, dragon designs. There's some great dragon designs in Fire Emblem. That Corin's design is not one of them. But it was thankfully one of the dragons that was not. I'm a 12 year old girl who's actually a thousand year old oh, dragon, uh, which is the worst name? Fire Nami. Emblem tro- uh, tiki and and Nami. They've done it multiple times. Yeah, I love Fire Emblem, but they got to stop doing that. And finally, our last piece of RPG news. Dragon Quest composer Koichi Sugiyama has died at the age of 90. Koichi Sugiyama, definitely a controversial figure in many ways due to his um, views on World War II and LGBT folks. Um, There was a number of stories repeated, not reported not too long ago. 
but also undeniably a pioneer in video game composition, inspired an entire generation of composers to follow. He changed the way that we thought about RPGs on the Famicom. So as usual, it's complicated and mixed feelings, but um, rest in peace to Sugiyama. Yeah, uh, you actually linked to my tweet on your IGN article and uh, it exploded. So I muted <laughs> that thing. I muted that thing from orbit. It was really the only way to be sure. Here's my outlook was basically don't try not to live the kind of life where people have to compromise your morning when you pass. And people took real issue with that, calling me, well, everything. And I don't think it's a bad philosophy. So whatever, it doesn't really bother me if people agree or not. But yeah, the point is he was kind of a terrible person in many regards, but he also was uh, a genius composer, at least for a while there. There's a lot of debate over whether or not his later work was any good, but from, say, Dragon Quest 1 through, like, 5 is pretty epic, I have to say. Even 8. 8 is, has a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah. Like, mo- most of my connection to this music, honestly, because I haven't played many Dragon Quests, um, I, I don't have a, an extremely nostalgic connection, but obviously being aware of who he was as a person and... The, the person he was not even just privately, but very publicly. That's like there, kind of the thing. Yeah, there is a distinct like, difference. Yeah, there really is, because it's not like it'd be bad enough. He, if he was just like someone's old racist grandpa, but he took out a full page ad in the WAPO calling out America for saying, hey, Japan, maybe having Korean comfort women wasn't the best idea you ever had. Mm-hmm. And he got really mad about that. And I think he signed on to it. I, I don't think he took out the full page ad. I think he signed on to the ad. I don't know if he signed on to it, if he wrote it, but he was definitely deeply involved in that thing. He, he, was, he was involved with it in some yeah. way. And yeah, so that, that's a little bit beyond the beyond there. That's, that's my whole thing with it is just if someone was especially loudly and publicly the person they were and held the beliefs they were and people didn't like that because it, you know, dig deeper into what, you know, historical negationism and stuff like that is. If you want to learn more at your local library kids. But, um, I, I really liked what you said, Nadia, which is just, you know, if you don't want to have that happen, live the kind of life that doesn't cause your, you know, passing and greatest accomplishments to have an asterisk next to them. Exactly. And there's a big asterisk next to it now. That's what it comes down to. And people do contain multitudes. People contain complexities. And I also think boiling that down to complexities is underdoing it. But um, that's that's it at the end of the day is we remember people as they were. And, yeah. you know, for all for all their faults and their their uh achievements that that's that's who Sugiyama very publicly was so I, I I think there's obvious questions now about the future of Dragon Quest music in terms of you know where do they go from here because there were very public disputes over the music in Dragon yeah. Quest 11 and stuff like that so uh I think Dragon Quest 12 is still supposed to have some of his music in it but as far as the series future from there as far as any other games, you know, fingers crossed for Dragon Quest Builders three. Yes. Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of a big question mark as to where all this goes and how his estate gets involved and how they feel about it. So Yama's legacy reminds me a lot of the co-creator of uh, Space Battleship Yamato. He was oh boy. A infamous nationalist. And <laughs> there was a certain generation of Japanese folks and actually younger Japanese folks who are ardent nationalists and hold many of the same views as Sugiyama. So he definitely falls into that particular bucket. But mm-hmm. I will say that the anthem of Dragon Quest is one of the 
Yeah, it's still one of the most stirring in gaming, you know. So. It really is. Like, I just, like, I haven't played Dragon Quest Eleven in a while, but when I do, I just listen to the whole thing all the way through. Like, the opening movie is mm-hmm. fantastic. It's, mm. it's it's an all-timer. It's it's it a banger. Is. There's a reason why when they did that Dragon Quest presentation a while ago, we heard that fanfare like 14,000 times because <laughs> it's it's the thing, you know, it's the the Zelda fanfare, it's the Final Fantasy fanfare. Like there are a few pieces in video game history that have that level of recognition and fame and that was one of them. So, yeah. Yeah, as he got older, he definitely lost some of his energy. He was still working until practically the end. He was tabbed to work on Dragon Quest Twelve as well. And unfortunately, uh, Dragon Quest Eleven's soundtrack was perhaps uh, maybe suffered a little bit for the fact yeah. that he was uh, quite old when he was working on it. Um, I think that you might see something along with, uh, you know, Final Fantasy Twelve or, you know, Final Fantasy when Uematsu decided to depart the tone of the series uh, changed quite a bit in my view. And so you mm. may see that happening with Dragon Quest. Though whoever they get may also be like, no, I am going to honor the legacy of Sugiyama. I'm going to go for the exact same stylings or else Japanese people are going to get really <laughs> mad at me. Bring out Nitties the horns. The way, Let's baby. go. <laughs> <laughs> Bring out that Mac plus. <laughs> all right. That is all the RPG news. It's time to continue on to our main topic. RPG creepypastas. Don't go away. Okay, it's time for our discussion about RPG creepypastas. Yes, creepypastas are kind of a thing that, I mean, we've always had ghost stories one way or another, going back a very, very long way in our history. People like to be scared, and creepypastas were a very specific kind of internet, kind of urban legend, I want to say. The yeah, story works. about uh, the hook in the car, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slender Man is a great example of uh, the OG creepypasta, right? So, mm-hmm. And then a lot of people started coming up with urban legends and ghost stories around video games. And RPGs were a popular topic, especially Pokemon, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. I think because of Lavender Town. Lavender yeah. Town was a big reason. I think, see, here's my theory behind why so many creepypastas are based around video games. Number one, of course, they're a medium that a lot of young people are into, so that's just they kind of gravitate towards and it makes sense. Number two, I don't know about you guys, and especially you, Eric, because you're you're more of a youngster, but when an ARP, <laughs> when an NES could kind of, you know, break down and kind of blare at you and, and make scary noises, like, that can mm. be kind of creepy when you're a kid. And you know what? I'm kind of undermining your age here, Eric, because the PlayStation 2 has the infamous red screen of death. And anytime mm-hmm. you look that up on YouTube, you will see people saying how much that freaked them out as a kid. It was just mm-hmm. basically the red screen of death is an error screen you get if you put in an illegal or copied PlayStation 2 disc or a damaged one. And it, it is kind of freaky. Yeah, to be honest with you, you get like this really weird chime along with a red screen. So, yeah, of course, it's going to freak you out. And I think people developed creepypastas about video games around that kind of feeling that technology can betray you and will mm-hmm. betray you and will at least scare the pants off you if it's in the mood. 
because video games are something that you they're they're a toy right it's the same like danger of chucky which is what happens when the doll starts talking back to you and then the (laughs) doll wants to stab you like that's exactly that that's where a lot of this stuff i mean a really common thread in a lot of creepypasta uh which i got really into for some reason for a year or two back in college because that was just a phase i went through uh was the the thing that speaks back to you you know the game is talking back and the game is sending you messages and oh this oh i got it at a flea sale and there is a flea market old man drooling sold it to me sold it yeah when i turned around he was gone and oh yeah it's a black cartridge no label Uh uh-huh and it's you you can see why it's appealing because it's that sort of stuff i mean it's even been used in sci-fi and and pop culture i mean we have things like skynet we have uh war games we have lots of stuff where the machine turns on the people and then you just add a little bit of the supernatural and i think that's what i like about a lot of the video game creepypasta is that it's not as much oh ai decides that humans are a scourge on the planet and decides to wipe them out it's much more like this weird malevolent cosmic force that you yeah. don't fully understand what it wants and there are some really good creepy pastas that run in that vein that still have that air of supernatural to them i agree like i'm not like huge huge into creepy pasta but i know a lot of the good ones like uh some of them are absolutely crazy because the really interesting thing you could do versus ghost stories is make creepypastas interactive. Mm-hmm. Like you probably know the whole Godzilla NES cartridge one, right, Eric? I remind That's, me of it. That is a classic where someone buys, of all the things, someone buys a haunted cartridge of Godzilla for the NES. Uh-huh. And they came up with the whole story and they made like custom sprites, custom screens. Basically, they're playing this Godzilla old NES game and it goes awry and it turns out to be a message from a dead friend. I don't know exactly how it went down, but the way it's all put together is actually really good. And if you haven't like read it, it is like the quintessential copy pasta, and you should absolutely like look it up when we're done yeah, here. I need to look that up. I was I was more in the age of when this stuff started to leak into YouTube because I feel like uh, that was that was the the advent of a lot of stuff, uh, especially Ben Drowned. Uh, ben Drowned, good old Ben Drowned, yeah. Not an RPG, but you know, it's it, worth talking about. You, ha- you have to talk about because it was one that got as popular as things like Slenderman, where that image of creepy smiling Link from Majora's Mask. And you're working with Majora's Mask already, which is, you yeah, know, already kind of an unsettling <laughs> game to begin with. Yeah. Fruitful ground for yeah. uh, creepy stuff. <laughs> uh, back in 20, I think it was 2017 or 2018. I profiled the author of it. I think um, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a really cool interview getting to talk about a lot of that uh and just the legacy of what that thing was uh and and how he put it all together still amazes me to this day it was a mix of forum posting and modding and all these different things that just kind of coalesced and there was an element of users kind of giving advice to this person because there was an air of you know what's the keeping up the facade in like wrestling or whatever there's an air of kayfabe to it okay uh, it's yeah i don't know if you say kayfabe or it's a work yeah, or, there, yeah it, so, there's yeah. there's some work to it where they're he's going on the forum pretending to be this person and they're giving him advice and then he's incorporating that advice mm-hmm. into the next step of the story and so it's kind of being driven by the people that are reading it and that just generates this really cool engagement with a horror story that you don't get in something that is like, you know, a short story that someone has just posted on the internet somewhere. So, uh, but that one was infamous. I mean, I feel like it, 
it made Majora's Mask infamous in in its own way. Already a good Zelda game, but now you've got all the creepiness of it turned up to 11. Yeah. Uh, with the happy mask salesman and everything. Uh, the best yeah. creepy pastas are the ones that have an air of believability to them. Yes. Like when I was going and searching for creepy pastas, a lot of them were just like, I wrote a creepy pasta. And it's like, no, this is just a lame ghost story. Stop. Yeah. But <laughs> stop, child. Don't do anything the, creative ever like again. Like the original Pokemon Black story, which I think has been around, kicking around the internet for a long time. This notion of like, I discovered a cartridge at a garage sale. And it was like, and it was black and it didn't have a label. And it was called Pokemon Black. And I was just playing it. And in this game, you have a ghost with you. And every time you kill a Pokemon, like they die. And by the end of the game, the ghost comes and now it's attacking me. And all of my Pokemon are dying. And like the way it's written is in such a creepy way. Yeah. Even if you don't think it's real, it feels like something that could have happened. So you're going, whoa, my God, what a freaky, what a disturbing game. Right. So my um, and to the point where people actually went and made it. People went yeah. and made the creepy pasta version of Pokemon Black. Yeah, I have seen my personal favorite. One of my personal favorites is uh, Pokemon Lost Silver, which someone did make. And that's just a very what I was talking about earlier about technology kind of glitching out and freaking you out. Like it has a lot of examples of that. It's just really uses the minimalist uh, the the minimalist air of Pokemon Gold and Silver to its advantage in in the most like amazing ways. Even things like hearing certain songs outside of their context, that can be freaky, like hearing the unknown song from Pokemon Gold and Silver accompanying you wherever, that can be very unsettling. Going up to the mountain and challenging Red and seeing he has no head and Pikachu is crying, that sort of thing is kind of creepy. And Pokemon Lost Silver is full is filled with that kind of stuff. It's not a very long demo, but it's it's pretty good. I actually talked to the guy who made it, and he said he actually... I, I thought at first it was a, a a ROM hack. He said, no, I made it from the ground up. This isn't a creepypasta per se, but it's a really disturbing story to the point that it's almost like a real-life creepypasta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Final Fantasy VII house. Have you heard about oh this? Oh, my God. The Final oh Fantasy VII God. house is absolutely off the rails. Holy... You want to talk about early internet legends, that's the number one right my there. My God. <laughs> Oh. My friends and I just say the Final Fantasy VII house. Woo! <laughs> was that the one where the guy who thought he was uh, Hojo was trying to inject green stuff into the, his roommates, mm-hmm. and he went to the, the he went to the pharmacy and said, "I'm a diabetic," and the, and the pharmacist said, "Sure you are. Get out of here, junkie." So he couldn't inject Jello, whatever he was going to put. It was supposed to be Mako, but he was going to put like something green in the veins of these of these roommates. It was so out I, of the. It has all of the makings of a good creepy pasta. It does. A, a trans runaway finds an online community that's really into Final Fantasy VII, moves in with them, and they're like, no, we're really into magic. We're doing like fairy rings, mm-hmm. but it's like also horrifically abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, that It's become like this crazy kind of cult going on here. They're, everybody has nicknames based on Final Fantasy VII characters. People are being injected with Jello, as you were saying. <laughs> like it's it's a really messed up story, but it's a very at the same time, it's, because I mean there are plenty of cults, but uh, it has a very specific internet bent to it. It does. I yeah. can read that and say, yeah, I could absolutely see it happening with some of the people I've known on the internet. That is absolutely 
achievable. I could see myself having ended up in something like a Final Fantasy VII house when I was in in college if I had fallen into the wrong group because exactly I was very <laughs> online. I was very much adrift at that time. And I was looking for somebody to latch on to. And thankfully, I found the person who would become my partner. And she like really pointed me in the right direction, I think. But that if I had found, fallen in with the wrong group, absolutely, I could have ended up with something like mm -hmm. the Final Fantasy VII house. I was so online back in 2002. I was so looking for a community. So anyway, I don't mean to get dark with this. I was just like no. going, ah. But but that's the appeal of like that something awful era of copy pasta where people were telling stories and it was a forum. So it wasn't like this was anyone could say anything and you wouldn't ever know how true or not true it was. And so if someone was a very gifted storyteller, they could really string you along. And part of the fun is, no, this can't be real. Oh, no, maybe this could be real. And. Yeah, that's when you ride the line well like that. That's when you get really, really good stories. I mean, this stuff has persisted even prior to the Internet with like Lavender Town and all that. But uh, the Internet is really what did it for games in terms of letting that stuff breathe a little bit more and have that air of plausible believability. Uh, Lavender Town is a good example of uh, that plausible-ness, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term, because... Yes, the uh, the the rumor for Lavender Town is that um, a bunch of kids in Japan were playing Pokemon. They listened to the Lavender Town theme, which is pretty spooky on the original Game Boy, and they all had seizures. They some of them died. You know, it's the usual mm -hmm. dark stuff. And of course, that never happened. But there are certain elements that, when you combine them, you can absolutely see why this would become a ghost story. Uh, for starters, the music in Lavender Town, in the Japanese version of the game, was changed in America just slightly to make it less harsh because it is a bit harsh on the ears. And then, of course, in Japan, you had the incident with the children watching the Pokemon anime and they had seizures yeah. and they were fine. Yeah. But yeah. that was a whole thing of publicity, rumors, oh, these children died, these children started bleeding, mm -hmm. whatever. So all that kind of combines into the Lavender Town Syndrome, which says like when you hear that music, you go insane, you want to kill yourself, you want to kill everyone mm -hmm. around you. So it's, of course, not true, but you think about the things that, happened with that with the game and with the anime and you say okay i can see why people would build a, a pretty good urban legend out of that mm -hmm. here's a good one the haunted morrowind mod oh i have never heard of that i i think i've heard this one before an incompatible morrowind mod called jv61166z.esp you constantly lose health no matter what and all the characters in the game have already been killed off and if mm -hmm. you die, an assassin monster will come up to your corpse and scream horrifyingly. Wow. <laughs> now, that's the good that's, stuff. That's pretty cool. I love the idea that, of a haunted mod. That's just perfect. That yeah. is so perfect. That is so very now. A lot of like Skyrim and, and Elder Scrolls stories have stuff like that where they boot into the game after installing something and there's only the children left or something like that. And there's only all, the children left. It's, it's very good. That that stuff is always good. Uh but yeah, it's like, like creepypasta. I feel like it's fallen by the wayside now just because that stuff exists in like designated corners of the Internet. Yeah. If you go looking for it, it's still there. But back when 
you know, the internet was nascent back when all these forums were blossoming and turning into what they were. And everyone was just in the chaos and the abyss together. That was where this stuff really thrived. And that yeah. that's where you got, I mean, it was out of that same mold that stuff like marble Hornets came out. So it's, that's where a lot of good creepy pasta came out of. Well, to return to the, lavender town and everything i think the reason that lavender town is such a popular thing aside from the fact that the music is really creepy is because it's such a hard mood change from Mm -hmm. the rest of the game the rest of the game is very bright and fun you're on an adventure you're a young kid and then all of a sudden you're in this graveyard and there are ghosts and the music is very creepy Mm -hmm. you run into a pokemon that has lost its mother and wears the mask of its dead mother Mm -hmm. um Gary, apparent or blue, I suppose, in this game, has lost his Pokemon. Like people speculate that Gary uh Blue Pokemon died. Yeah, Blue's Radicate died. Yeah. And that Blue I, is uh mourning his dead Radicate. I actually when I was the about.com Nintendo DS guide, I actually debunked that because it was it was a really popular story too. Oh no, I, Nadia! What are you doing? You don't, don't debunk don't, the creepy pasta. No, I don't. I don't believe it. It's okay. I I un I rebunk it. It's well, bunked. Uh, okay. Well, let me just tell you this much. <laughs> I went back and looked at some source material to see if you actually did care, kill that Radicate. So I found the perfect video online. I'm like, okay, watching it. Blah blah blah. You know, going through Lavender Town. Uh, here comes Gary. Uh, here comes whatever he sent out. This guy playing this game sends out his Pikachu, who is named I farted. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I completely lost myself. I was on the floor. I was laughing straight for 10 minutes. My husband thought I was going to take me to the hospital. And then he just like, he, he named his Doduo Kronk. And I don't know. It was just the, just the names were perfect. But Pikachu, go. I farted. Like, it's just. <laughs> anyway, the point is, I, I won't debunk anything from now on. I just wanted to tell, talk about the Pikachu named I farted. Mm-hmm. And Good I story, farted, Nadia. Thank you. I thank farted, you. killed Radicate. He did. Okay, there we go. There's our creepy pasta. But there was another one that was attached to us. It was the buried alive story. Have you heard of this one? Oh, is that the one with the hand sprite? Because that's kind of creepy, actually. It was originally meant to be a decaying corpse uh, that was supposed to have been hidden code. Yeah, of course. Hidden code. And if you managed to defeat this character, the game would freeze since there was no script set in place and victory was achieved. This is all on the gamer, by the way. However, losing to this boss is a whole another story. A game over screen would appear and a sprite of the player character being dragged into the ground by the buried Ooh. alive model could be seen. Very Ooh. spooky. Ooh. I actually think that the, one of the reasons Lost Silver is so freaky is because the moral is uh, gold dies unnamed and alone and you're stuck in four walls and you can't do anything ever again until you reset the game. It's just a little bit creepy. I think that another reason that RPGs are great sources of creepypastas aside from the very healthy modding community which we already saw with Morrowind so you could theoretically go out and mod practically anything in there and it's kind of believable they are such big sprawling crazy masses of code with all kinds of hidden Mm -hmm. corners that you could say to somebody oh yeah this is totally in the game and Mm -hmm. people go what that's insane no way and you're like oh yeah it's totally how it is especially back in the day before people could disassemble codes and find secrets. Like the earliest, my, one of my earliest internet memories is just going on there and finding all sorts of crazy rumors about how this is how you revive Aerith. We swear to God it's true. This is how you revive General Leo in Final Fantasy VI. We swear to God it's true. This is how you do any number of crazy things in Chrono Trigger because that game had so many loose ends it didn't tie up. Mm-hmm. Shala. 
I like this one. Random numbers in Fallout 3 predicting real-life events. Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> like the death of Gary Coleman in the BP oil spill. <sighs> People just love taking those numbers and taking taking numbers and just figuring out ways to uh, uh, apply them to things. It's, to connect uh, them. Humans are weird, gotta they say. They really are. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, we love the unknown, right? Yes. There's so much in the yeah. world we don't understand and that scares us. We don't know what's at the bottom of the ocean. We don't know what's out so there in cool, space. Though. Like, like the idea that we're on this floating on this massive ball of water. We don't know if it's the bottom. That's so amazing. Just could be all we Cthulhu. know is that sometimes whales dive and they come back missing huge chunks. And that's uh-huh. pretty cool. And what's killing the whales? We don't know. That's what the fun of it is. I know my sister would probably want to kill me right now because she went to school for marine biology and she knows what is killing the whales and she's hiding it from you. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. Um, yeah, no, it's like there's there's so much unknown in life and yeah it's it's weird to be macabre about stuff but also like there's kind of some fun empowerment in just scaring yourself it's the same reason we get on roller coasters you know it's the wanting to experience the thrill of the unknown and all that so uh and also like horror stories are really fun to write if you are a writer person like i've had a lot of fun writing horror stories in my time yeah i like writing horror stories we know so much now. Once upon a time, we didn't know a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good story about somebody who <laughs> discovered a small Eastern European country in an encyclopedia and became completely obsessed with it in the late 80s. And we're like going to the library, and then they were starting up correspondences with these people, and they're like, what is this place? This is insane. I had no idea this was a thing. And they wrote a whole book about their quest to go to this country. Mm-hmm. and. Today, you could just go on Google Maps and you could click on that country and go and look at some pictures of it and go, oh, okay, interesting. (laughs) Neat. It's a a place. But um, so the Internet is this font of knowledge that is going to tell you practically everything. Like we have a supercomputer in our pocket that you Google whatever and you're going to learn anything you want. You can debunk so much information. So many urban legends debunked through Snopes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in the darkest corners of the internet, in these forums, in other places, chat rooms, Discord, Twitter, you can still spread, you can still spin a good ghost story that -hmm. can't be fully debunked by Snopes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Some of that is bad because a lot of misinformation gets spread on the Mm -hmm. internet as well. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But at the same time, it's fun to feel kind of afraid. To feel kind of scared. Yeah, you, you need to have that little bit of thrill in your life sometimes. Like Eric said, it's like riding on roller coasters, which I can't do anymore because they make me nauseous. So I got to read a good ghost story to get scared. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about some of our favorite creepy moments in RPG history. Nadia, Earthbound. Very creepy. Very creepy RPG. Earthbound's finale. Uh, yeah, the whole thing is very creepy, and not just because it has like the kind of existential horror thing going on with Gygus threatening to devour the world, but also the utter failure of adults to protect these children, and because they're so busy being terrible to each other, and that's kind of frightening on its own. One of the things that we, one of the first things you really do in this game is go to a cult where they're going to sacrifice the what's the name of the girl Paula. As like, uh, because she's got psychic powers. And yeah, it's basically a cult full of adults 
preying on children. And you it just kind of keeps that tone up for the rest of the game until you finally get to Gygus, who is literally an uh, interdimensional horror. Pretty much just the whole thing lifted from Stephen King's It, which is, of course, one of the best horror stories ever written. So there's your source material right there, I suppose. But the music, I don't think it's nearly enough praise for as much tone as it sets. Like, if you go into a, a cave in Earthbound, you usually don't get music. You just get these weird echoes of monsters in the background. And it's a mm-hmm. very, very mood-setting stuff. And it, it's just a, a good example of what Earthbound is all about. It is a very subtle sort of unease versus an actual, uh, boo, scary sort of thing. My The best horror is the kind that's kind of ridiculous, has you laughing, you're having a good time, and then it gets really creepy. Mm. And like some of the idea, some of the movies that I'm thinking of, Shaun of the Dead, a movie Mm. that for the most part is pretty ridiculous. It's a comedy of errors. But then when they're in the actual Winchester and then it starts getting, and the, the, the pub is dark and there's no power and the TV isn't working and all the zombies are outside and everybody is starting to freak out. Then the mood whiplash really starts to get to you. Mm -hmm. Right. That's my, that's the best kind of horror in my opinion. That's kind of what earthbound specializes in too. Going back to that for a second. That's why I brought that. That's why I brought it up is because earthbound again, you're like going, Oh, this is kind of a light and fun. This is kind of messed up. Anytime you start saying that's kind of messed up. That's my favorite kind of horror. Because when you get to, to Threed, the town, you have everyone just kind of corralled in a circus tent. And of course, circuses are always creepy by default, if they're, especially if they're abandoned. And they're basically being closed in on from all sides. And if you try to leave the tent, you can fight these monsters, but they're very strong. And at one point, Ness is actually lured into a, a hotel by someone who looks like a human woman, but then you you go into the room and you see it's just like a bunch of monsters and they jump him and basically bury him underground. It's it's pretty messed up. Yeah, it's like that that atmosphere stuff is the same reason why I really like Fallout New Vegas is because every time you go into a vault, I mean, Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 to some extent too, but I feel like, again, New Vegas is the best 3D Fallout. <laughs> so um, every time you go into a vault, some of the vaults in there, like, one thing yeah. that really does shine about New Vegas is that the vaults feel very distinct and unique. And the one with the plant men or whatever, where they're in the grass. And this is one of the things that I think games and, and RPGs can do really well is they can use mechanics to create scares. Mm-hmm. So the the plant looking mutants in that area, you can't vats onto them right away. Oh. You have you they will you have to shoot at them or they have to jump out and attack you and then you can start batsing them but you can't just run around tapping bats and locking onto all of them they will surprise you and it works so so well and uh so many other parts of that game just maybe it's not scary in the traditional sense but it is tense it is there there are times where you jump a little bit because something has sprung out of the foliage at you or mm-hmm. ran around a corner at you. And like even the DLC, like dead money and stuff like that has some really freaky parts in it that are just, Oh, follow new Vegas. Fantastic game. Yeah. When you're talking about being able to do horror using mechanics, it makes me think of eternal darkness, which is not oh, an RPG, mm. but it was uh, a kind of a pioneer in the sense that it, 
was a game that seemed to stretch beyond the bounds of its desk of its disc mm. and pulled you the player into it mm-hmm. which is not so uh shall i say innovative now plenty of other games have done this as well but at the time those little tricks really messed with you it was great i was just gonna say another one that does it is if you've played any of daniel mullins games uh so he made pony island and the hex and is coming out this month with a game called inscription uh he does very very creepy meta genre bending games and the hex is if you want to go in completely unknowing just don't listen to this part but it's about this bar where all these protagonists of discarded games from a video game creator have been hanging out and meeting up and you kind of go through each of their games and see why each of them has come to dislike their creator uh and the rpg one specifically has some really cool moments that i don't want to spoil but does some really cool things with bending the mechanics of an rpg to be horror based or at least be shocking in a way uh and upset like what you would normally expect from a game like that uh there's so much cool stuff that you can do because it is an interactive medium and yeah you have that space to play with where it's not just you watching something or you reading something but you're actively taking part in it and then it can kind of take part in it with you the machine can talk back to you so well speaking of that eric maybe you agree with me on this one i would say one of the freakiest places in an rpg ever the true lab from undertale oh yeah yeah that freaked me out because i was talking earlier about machines i just had turning against you and when you fight like this is spoilers for the true ending of of an undertale so just so you know um, you go to the true lab and you're fighting the amalgamations and just how mm-hmm. twisted they are and how they actually are separate monsters. Like it's actually really, really clever how Toby Fox did it, but also extremely, extremely freaky. Mm-hmm. Like you pick up the phone and these monsters are talking to you and their, their attacks are dial up sounds, which sounds really silly. But again, there's that technology kind of turning against you and you can't hit them. You can't do anything. You can only, I can't remember if you can talk to them or what the story is. But when they talk, all you get is garbled nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, there's a lot going on in that lab. And not only that, that's where you discover also the truth of uh, Kara and what mm-hmm. they were like and how that nice story about the the monster boy and the human boy who loved each other very much wasn't nearly as nice and cut and dry as you're led to think at first. It's a very, right. one of my favorite areas in an RPG. It's really, really spooky. Even the neutral ending has some really freaky stuff with it Flowey does. turning into that weird Photoshop flash monster and stuff like that. I remember playing that at like two in the morning because I was like, I'm finishing Undertale tonight. And I was like, I regret finishing Undertale tonight. <laughs> there are a couple of neutral endings that are actually a lot more disturbing than even like the genocide ending, like the one where I think it's Alphys. She says, everyone's dying down here. We're just waiting to die in the cold and the dark because you've done every you've killed all your leaders. You've killed everyone. Any hope they have of getting better but you you escape you didn't like kill absolutely everybody so alphys had is basically just waiting to die with all of her friends mm-hmm. who are left although most of them are gone themselves like you killed them and mm-hmm. there's also the one where you are talked to by sans himself and mm-hmm. he says everything's again everything's cold everything's dark everyone's waiting to die then he says she, the last thing he says to you is, is see ya which implies he's coming after you <laughs> and his yeah. eyes go dark so yeah that was that was something else um even like have you played 
Delta in Chapter Two, specifically the Snow Grave route. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's. So I, I, I'm waiting on that one. I gotta, f- folks gotta at home one. might know, but there is an alternative route, which in Delta in Chapter One you could kind of do whether you want to be aggressive or pacifist. Yeah. But Chapter Two is where they implement an actually different route, and it's very different than what you would expect from the No Mercy slash genocide route. Uh where it involves getting one of your teammates to do all the bad stuff instead. Oh, that and sounds you, you are just the one kind of like getting them to do it. And some bad stuff happens and there's some like really nasty implications involved with it. And it's just, it's dark in a way that I'm like, I don't know where Deltarune is going from here, but I'm fascinated to see how this carries forward into the next few chapters. Eric, did you ever play Obori? I played some of Omori. I, I'm if I'm being completely honest, I liked the style, but I did not like playing it. Uh, mm. I thought it Why was not. I thought it was not a fun RPG to play. And granted, I know like not not every video game is supposed to be fun. Eric put Path of Logic on this list. He knows that, but <laughs> um, but this this just hit at a time where I just didn't want to play something like that. So I know of Omori. I know kind of what the deal with Omori is, but uh, much like Lisa, the painful and stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of content with leaving others to play it and tell me about it later (laughs) instead of me myself playing it. But yeah, Omori was interesting in terms of it being like a horror RPG that, bends things in the same way that that undertale and earthbound and many others do it's it's the one that looked at earthbound and saw the horror stuff in it right yeah and yeah and the potential for it's based on a comic stuff yeah it was crowdfunded and turned it it was a comic that was crowdfunded and turned into another earthbound style rpg and in some ways like that's the cliche now of like how horrifying can you get with this earthbound like rpg but well i uh i think they did a good job with it i mean Mm -hmm. first of all the art was outstanding and it could be silly enough and interesting enough at times with its fantasy worlds and Mm -hmm. grim and horrifying enough with its real world stuff that it ended up working for me and not feeling too cliche and then just the fact that there's a hikimori route where you just literally need, l- never leave your house and it gets grimmer and grimmer and grimmer. That's mm-hmm. that's the good stuff right there. That's mm-hmm. that's good RPG storytelling. That's good RPG stuff right there. All right. I think that's about it for our discussion of RPG creepypastas. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I have to say one quick shout out because... Sometimes horror can be subjective according to what your own fears are, of course. And one of the freak, most freaked out I've ever been playing an RPG, believe it or not, was Breath of Fire 2. When um, early in the game, you're a child, you have your, your dad and he's very nice and you have your sister and she's very nice. And you chase after your sister because she doesn't want to do her lessons. You chase her into this kind of the back lot of the village where there's a dragon sleeping and the dragon's your mother. Spoilers. But you kind of fall asleep beside her. And you wake up what seems like a few minutes later and you go back into your town and your father's gone, your sister's gone, and nobody knows who you are. And they're very hostile towards you. And you just don't know what happened. And the, you go to the church where your dad's supposed to be the, pre- the, the preacher and someone you've never seen is there instead. And he's like, oh, I guess you're an orphan now. And I just 
kind of found that very, very, very creepy because that's the kind of thing that scares the crap out of me. Just having no one remember who I am and being all alone without a clue of where to proceed next. So mm. I have to say something like that. Sometimes even small gestures like that can really, really make an RPG stick to you. Yeah, I think anything that has atmosphere that does that stuff well, again, like I fall out, I fall back on Fallout New Vegas a lot where uh, it uses the ideas of like, we've taught you how the game works, but what if we start, you know, letting the game push back against that? What if we start creating situations that, you know, it normally, you know, you can hear the gamer yelling, oh, that's that's not fair. I can't believe the the green guys. I can't vats them. But like, that's interesting storytelling. And that's exactly like mimicking what it would be like, you know, role playing is role playing. And so that's what it would be like if you're walking through this vault and you couldn't see the the dangerous foliage mutants lurking in the shrubberies and such. So uh, I, I New like Vegas is like outer limits when in like some of its stories, like mm-hmm. the, the cannibal hotel. It's oh, very yeah. outer limits. Yeah. Um, there's there's so much potential for horror to exist in that world. And so I do get I wish that some of some of the games in that, you know, larger genre of RPG would lean more into that because I feel like when they do, it's just always kind of like, oh, it's a creepy cult. No, you can do, <laughs> you can do cooler better. things than that. And it doesn't always need to be camp and all that. Like you can do I would love to see an alien style RPG. Like that would be be really cool. Like, you know, take the concepts of something like what alien isolation did, where it really focused on how powerless your character is at times and make you try to work through the world in a situation where you have to fight back with what little you have and make decisions about, you know, what if combat is not something you chase out to grind, but something you try to actively avoid or make very calculated decisions about when you're going to engage in it. Like there's cool things you can do with RPGs still in that realm that, Hey, if if y'all listening have heard of it at me on the discord or whatever with it, cause I'd be interested to check that out. Well, that's the tough thing is in RPGs you're inherently strong. Like mm-hmm. the, it's a power, it's a power fantasy where you're mm-hmm. leveling up and trying to get better and better and becoming super strong is it's not, it's, it runs counter to what a lot of horror games do, which is to make you feel powerless and, um, at the mercy of the monsters or the environment or your own brain. I thought darkest dungeon did a pretty good job of balancing that in many mm-hmm. ways, because no matter how strong mm-hmm. you could get your sanity could still get out of control. And then if you if your party started like actively freaking out, things could go horrifically wrong in a hurry. Right. And that really did a great job of capturing the the freakiness of going down into the darkest dungeon. But down, down to Goblin Town. <laughs> All right. That's it for our discussion. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Capot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at C Moosey, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. I did it. And, of course, follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. And, hey, I'm on another podcast now pretty regularly. That's Nintendo Voice Chat, IGN's Nintendo podcast. I'm a regular. Yay. On NBC. Just recently talked about Sora and Smash Brothers, Metroid Dread, Nintendo OLED and all that. You can find that on YouTube or the podcatcher of your choice. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about the genre we love. And, hey, on Wednesday, we have an interview with Ray Chase coming up. We're going to go ahead and record that tomorrow. So plenty more content where that came from. But until then, for Nadia, 
Eric and myself. Thanks so much for listening and happy adventure.